0: you're listening to the cit podcast if you'd like to know more about cit or like to donate to this ministry you can find us online at churchintoronto.com instagram or facebook we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'd love to see you at church this sunday okay, thank you for joining us we're glad you could be with us are you watching live or you watching later we welcome you we're continuing actually we're toward the end of our whole series on the mission of god and we're coming to the final section of ephesians the kind of climax and we're on a final uh, a subsection which we're starting today uh, this subsection is called take up god's full armor of course, that's the exhortation in Ephesians, I'm going to spend a number of weeks going through the armor of God and how to apply it. So, uh, and specifically today, this is a title for today's message, we a- we're asking, are you armed against Satan's attack? The Ephesians tells us we need to be, so ask yourself, are you, are we, armed against Satan's attack? That's an imperative that we need in the verses. So let's go to Ephesians 6. We're going to read verses 11. We're going through to 18. Okay, 11 starts like this. Put on the full armor of God. That's an imperative command. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil for our struggle our wrestling is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against cosmic powers of this darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens right for this reason take up the full armor of god so firstly put on then later it says, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist or able to withstand in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. 14 says, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor upon, on your chest. 15, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert, stay awake with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints, all the believers, right? So you, the last part there, you're going through the items of the armor, one by one, which is something we'll do, and you end up with prayer. There's another little section of Paul's writing, which touches on also on this warfare in Corinthians, a few verses. Paul says there in Corinthians... Although we live in the flesh, physical, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not physical, but they are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. (coughs) You have the matter of weapons, warfare, and it's not physical. So Ephesians, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, other humans. There's something more behind it more crucial and here the weapons of our warfare we don't fight with physical means just human means we fight with spiritual right weapons our weapons are powerful through God to demolish strongholds there's another kind of fighting conflict which we are asked to participate in this is a conflict against the power of evil The kingdom of darkness, the satanic kingdom, however you want to describe it, which is against the kingdom of God, right? And this passage talks about the schemes of the devil, talks about the evil one, and talks about the resources available in that kingdom. And we're in the kingdom of God. And these two kingdoms are in conflict. There's a struggle. But we know ultimately God wins, Christ wins. Christ is victor and we win. So that's the good news, but let's how to get there, how to carry that out. There is a kingdom of darkness which a lot of the times we're not that conscious of, but it's there. There are the principalities, powers, etc. that are there, are operating, there are schemes and they are they do impact us. Sometimes they become more evident. That's like the tip of the iceberg that's visible and should remind us there's more going on which we don't see. There's a testimony of a, of a medical doctor which I, in this area which I came across this week. I'd like to read for you uh, a little paragraph from... It's a lady. Her name is Janet Warren, who is a Christian. She's a believer in Christ, She's number one, a Christian, you, right? Number two, she is a medical doctor with a family practice. She has a family practice in Guelph, Ontario, All right? And she's also a scholar. Uh, Janet Warren, that's her name, first name Janet, family name Warren, is a family physician in Guelph, Ontario. She received, her. Did she studied at McMaster University, Hamilton. Got a degree in psychology. She studied medicine to become a doctor at U of T. We're talking local here. <laughs> she then she did her MTS, Master of Theological Studies at Tyndale Seminary, which is down the road, right? So somebody who's been in this area. Uh, she then went and did a PhD in theology over in the UK at the University of. Birmingham, Central uh, England, in theology. And her thesis is, it talks about the cleansing of the cosmos from evil. That's her title. Okay, she is a scholar. She is a medical doctor. She is a Christian, right? And she's a writer. She's not, we're not, this is not imagination. She's not talking fiction. She's not being sensational or dramatic. Okay, I I think this is, you know, we can have some assurance. Uh, She says this, her writing thesis, which became a book, starts out this way. Here's the first paragraph. She says, for the past 10 years, in my capacity as a family physician, I have counseled a remarkable woman who is a survivor of satanic ritual abuse. From approximately the age of 2 to 20, she was subjected to the most heinous abuse imaginable at the hands of her parents, foster parents, siblings, and other cult members. She was abused. She survived by splitting into many parts, like psychologically, so that each could handle one aspect of her nightmarish reality, something medical- Folk would, would call disassociative identity disorder. This lady also reports that being afflicted by multiple evil spirits that continually torment her and sometimes take over her body, distorting her face and voice and displaying superhuman strengths. Nothing in my medical training church experience or early theological studies had prepared me to deal with this particular affliction at that time. That's part of the reason why she pursued her studies in that line. Okay, here's a dramatic case. It sounds like, you know, Jesus confronted evil spirits, demon possession in somebody who can be taken over. This, yes, is it rare? Yes, in the Western world, it's, it's rare. It's, however, it happens, it's real, and it shows us there is that, uh, that kingdom of darkness, and it is trying to influence humanity, right? Sometimes visible, most of the time invisible, yet it's still there. We are in a conflict. We are in a conflict with, between the kingdom of God and that kingdom. So we need to be, we need armor, we need to resist satanic attacks. We cannot, as a Christian, as a believer, you cannot be demonically possessed or possessed by evil spirit. However, Satan and his kingdom is against God and those who are in his kingdom. So we need to be aware there's a struggle, there's a wrestling. And we are asked to play a role in the struggle for God's kingdom, right? So that's why we have this section. So Ephesians alerts us at the end it's it's been there as a theme along the way in the end it ends with this kind of warning and this kind of charge okay be alert be ready be equipped to participate to play the role you need should play in this conflict john barton has a little quote on Ephesians says this: the metaphor at the end of Ephesians, the metaphor is warfare, conflict, fighting, struggling. It's not the metaphor is not a school debate. It's not a discussion, and it's not a business enterprise. You can ask another, say a number of things. It's not a picnic. It's not a stroll in the park. It's not a dinner party. No, Ephesians ends with this conflict. That's what we're left with to participate in. Why? Because there's a, there is Satan is not yet terminated. He's still active. So in, in Peter, let's, Peter gives us appeals to this also. P, Peter chapter 5, first Peter, says this. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Be awake. Watch out. Because your adversary... He's God's adversary. He's your adversary. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Not a friendly lion. This is not Simba. This is a roaring lion, a predator. Satan is prowling around like like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Resist that resist is the same word as withstand. The word we get in Ephesians talks about, there's a key word in that section. Take the armor so that you can stand, right? It comes up like three or four times in those words. Stand, take the armor so you can stand. Stand therefore with the armor. At the end of the day, we want to stand. Take the armor so you can resist, withstand, right? So it's a key word. Ephesians, think about it. The first part of Ephesians chapter 2 has a marriage. We sit with Christ in the heavenly places. We're raised with him, seated with him, heavenly places. Chapters 4 and 5, we walk. Walk worthy of the calling of your salvation which you've received. So you sit then you walk, finally you stand. We're at the stand, brothers and sisters. You ready to stand? And that's the sequence. You know, humanly you would say, okay, I, you know, you might think I stand up, then I walk, then I come back and I sit or some other sequence. Now here it's firstly, you sit with Christ and what he has done for you. According to that, realizing that, in the light of that, we walk in our life, in our activities on this earth, in our relationships, worthy that matches that calling. But finally, we have to stand, stand, defend, right? You know, it's yes, is it a conflict? Yes, but notice this we're not called to attack. You might, you know, you think about warfare. Okay, charge. Let's charge. Forward, ho. (laughs) No, it doesn't end with forward, ho. It charge. It ends with stand. Why stand? Because Christ has already defeated. He's already fought the crucial battle. He's already gained the ground, right? He's established the kingdom, but now we have to keep... Keep the ground that he has won. Stand. It's easier to defend than attack. Isn't it? Think about it. You attack, there's a risk. You defend, it's easier. We are called to defend. So stand against the stratagems of the devil. This is def... Defensive operation, hold the ground. So think about it. Maybe some of us are familiar with. There's quite a few hymns on this warfare, right? If you go to the internet, hymns on warfare, you can find hundred, more than a hundred. Some of them line up with this. Some, of them, you know, there's a hymn that says, "Charge, soldiers, charge in battle." <laughs> well, that might be suitable. It doesn't match Ephesians. It may match some, some. onward Christian soldiers, marching as to war. Well, no, we're not marching out to war. Ephesians tells us, defend, stand, defend what God has done for you. Stand in his victory, stand. So, right? Okay, here's one that works. Stand up, stand up for Jesus amen, (laughs) right, if you know that one, stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross, right, we stand, here's one I like, I dare not be defeated, right, it's not, okay, this song is not saying, Well, I'm out there, I'm gonna go get it, it's saying, Lord, I dare not be defeated, there's no reason for me to be defeated, with Calvary in view, where Jesus conquered Satan and all his foes he slew. Jesus won the victory. Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus dealt with the evil powers. However, the war's not over. The decisive is won, but the war's not finished, not mopped up yet. So the, we shouldn't be defeated. And it calls us, Lord, give me vision. Give me your spirit. I want to fight. I want to stand. That's the kind of sense we should have. Lord, you are the victor. Christ is the victor, but we stand in that victory in the church, in Ephesians. God wants the church as a testimony of his victory by who they are. These were the people hostage to Satan under the prince of the power of the air, but God has rescued us, right? He led As out from captivity, brought us to freedom and made us gifts to his church. Now this church is a testimony. Satan, you try to, you oppress these people, you you imprison these people, but they're released to be God's people. And out of them, he's going to get a testimony for himself. That's the church. We stand in that victory. How do you do it? You put on the armor of God. Okay, so you have this phrase, the armor of God. That that can be understood in different ways. However, how it should be understood, this is God's own personal armor. That's key. God's own armor. Right? remember Old Testament, King Saul, David came as a shepherd boy. Saul wanted to give his armor, it didn't work. Did, right? God wants to give us his armor. Take the whole armor of God, is God's personal armor, which God Himself has used, tested. It's battle-proved. So, Ephesians, you have those terms: you know, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation. Right? The shield of faith, the the breastplate, body armor of righteousness. That's not the first time they appear in the Bible. They're in the Old Testament. A number of those items used by God, used by Messiah. Here's a verse from Isaiah. There's a, a situation, Isaiah 59 says this, The Lord, Yahweh, put on righteousness. God put on righteousness as body armor. Breastplate, same, same term. God put on righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. He has a breastplate, righteousness. God put on the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. He wrapped himself a as in a cloak and went out. God is a warrior. God has armor. Right? That's in Isaiah 59. There's another verse. Um, I, I don't have it on the screen. Isaiah 11 says this. Talks about the Messiah, the, the shoot of Jesse. A shoot shall grow from Jesse. Righteousness will be the belt upon his hips. Faithfulness will be the belt around his waist. Righteousness, faithfulness. He has a belt. Faithful, here it's faithfulness. In Hebrew, it's faithfulness. When they translated it into Greek, it became truth. Truth, he has a belt of truth. In Ephesians, you have the belt of truth. Right? So, Paul got a lot of these points there in the in the Old Testament. Okay, so here's a little quote from Tom... New, Newfeld says this the believers are called to put on God's own armor, not simply one that God supplies. It's not God mass produces armor and then sends it out. Okay, God gives it to you. No, this is God's personal armor, He passes over to you, to me. Think about it. That, that implies confidence. That implies commitment. When God passes on his armor to you and me, right? That implies an assignment, right? So here's a quote from Frank Thielman says this. Paul, Paul speaks of God's people wearing the armor, armor of God. Paul transfers the whole armor of God from God himself or his Messiah, Jesus, to God's people. He knows the victory of God's people is not complete. However, he's passing it on. God has done the major work, but there's more left, and he's passing it on to who? To you, to me, to finish the job. Amen. Right? Right? God commits his armor to you, to me, in the confidence. You know, when I was uh, talking about belts, we're gonna get to the belt of truce. When I was um, quite a few, a number of decades ago when my children were young, there was a brother, uh, he's actually the brother-in-law of Ian, Pastor Ian, Jake, Jake Wismer from London, Ontario area. He was helping us doing renovations in the house we were in. Jake is a carpenter, an excellent carpenter. And of course he has a carpenter's belt with the tools, right? The right the ratchets, the the hammer, the whatever, all the stuff. Okay. My one of my sons was young. I've forgotten two, three, four. He really liked Jake. And he young guy, he wanted to see what is Jake doing. How does Jake use the hammer, the saw, the... Okay, so we got him, my son, a toy tool belt like this. (laughs) That's not him, but it's like that. And Jake was very good at showing him what to do. Think about it. So here's a young, younger, very young, right? Wants to emanate, right, his... The model, right? He wants to do what he sees done. Actually, his favorite toy was not uh, other things. He would go to bed at that time with a toy hammer. People, Some people take do- dolls or other toys or stuffed animals. He, When he went to bed, he took his toy hammer <laughs> because that was the influence. You know, okay, I want to follow this model. Think about it. Then... When you grow up, when if Jake would pass over his tool belt, okay, I've done this, You've seen it done. I showed you how to do it. Now I pass it on to you. Finish the job. You can do it. Okay, That is what God is doing here. God has His armor. God has fought, Christ has won. Now, God, Christ, pass on the armor of God to you, to me. It's right. They have the confidence. You can do it. (laughs) It's not Home Depot. You can do it. We can help. (laughs) Right. But God has the confidence to give this commitment to us. So finish the job. What is the job? The job is God's mission. Ephesians is the mission of God. God wants to harmonize things, ever, gather everything together in harmony with God, with Christ in his kingdom. That's the mission of God. Subdue all the opposing forces, right? And bring everything together in God's kingdom. That's the mission of God. And God has brought, is inviting us into that mission. So the armor of God is to carry out the mission of God. And people, that's not just my idea. That's other. Here's a quote from a little quote from Mark Simon says this Ephesians 6 calls believers to actively participate in the Missio Dei. That's the Latin mission of God. Ephesians 6 right calls believers to actively participate in the mission of God that's how we should understand this section god gives us his armor to equip us to carry out his mission right to stand against the the kingdom a dark kingdom to bring in god's kingdom right uh, another writer says this: the armor of the armor here is meant to highlight the missional vocation of the church, living out the mission of God. We're here to live out, carry out the mission of God. That's then you say, okay. God's armor, God has one helmet, God has one breastplate, God has right one shield, one whatever. God commits it to to who? To the church. But the church is made up of us. So corporately, he's giving it to the church. How do you know? Because at Ephesians, those verbs are plural. Take ye up the whole armor of God. Put ye on right, the, the belt of truth, take you up, the sword of the spirit. Those are plural verbs. It's addressed to the church, but the church is also us. So it's not merely a call to individual, for individuals. It's also a call to the church collectively. The church is a corporate warrior composed of individual warriors. Okay, so we have the armor, And we're going to spend a number of weeks going through the armor bit by bit, and we want to apply it to us. What is the armor? You have six or seven items, depending how you want to number them. Uh, You can symbolize them. Number one, there's a belt of truth. Number two, there's a breastplate body armor of righteousness. Number three, there's have your feet shoed, shod with the gospel of peace, the preparation. Number four, Take the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Those are your six items, right? And take them by means of prayer. So you want to add a seventh? You add the prayer. Then they symbolize. What do they symbolize? They represent attributes of God one by one. So the belt, right? Have your loins girt with truth as a belt, put on the breastplate body armor of righteousness, have your feet shod, that implies shoes, with the preparation, proclamation of the gospel of of peace, take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts, put on the helmet of salvation, and receive the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. By means of all prayer. So you have truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, spirit, and word. And and do this by prayer. We have six or seven items. Let's go through. Okay, take. How do we take? Put on. How do you put on? How do you take up? How do you apply? Right? Yes, they're God's armor, but they need to be applied by us personally and collectively. Okay, so the belt of truce. Let's go to the first item: the belt of truce. Have your loins. That's ain't old English. Have ye your loins good, good about with truce? What? <laughs> that's your core, your abdomen. Have your center of your beings, right? Have it bound, protected, right? By the, we we say, belt of truth, right? So, uh, right, the the version we had, stand therefore with truth like a belt about your waist. It's, you know, this is not fashion accessory. (laughs) It's not decorative, We're talking about uh, armor for warfare, right? Think about back then, first century, they would be familiar with Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers didn't wear a, a, a fashion belt. They wore, right, a substantial belt with attachments to protect their core, some of their vital organs, right? Put on the belt of truce, right? It was substantial, what does it do? Then think about it. We have an image here, a metaphor, put on the belt of truth. What does this kind of belt do? It focuses. It gathers. It, it, it fortifies your center, your core, right? It stabilizes you, right? Think about it. We're in the Olympics. People are doing weightlifting. Think about a weightlifter, They don't wear a quarter-inch, you know, a tiny belt. No, if you're a weightlifter, you wear a lumbar, substantial lumbar support. Why? You're gonna lift a substantial weight. And if you you don't want your back to pop out, a disc to get dislocated. You wanna right? You don't wanna have a hernia, right? So Your belt there is binding you together, is stabilizing you, fortifying you. It's restricting you, right? So you don't, right, come apart, right? Okay, truth in here, think about it. We can apply that. What is truth supposed to do for us to fight the battle? Truth is supposed to gird us up. Truth is supposed to stabilize us. Truth should fortify us, and truth should restrict us, pull us together, right? So what stays together, should be together, stays together, right? Truth. So the armor of God has this belt, right, of truth. And it's the first item. Why is it the first It's the, right? It's foundational. The first thing a soldier would do would be put on this kind of belt. Then you put on the other stuff, the breastplate, and things are attached. Right? Put on this, put on that. Put in your sword. You slot your sword into your belt, right? So the belt is foundational. Brothers and sisters, truth is foundational. If we don't have a weak in faith, Right? You're in danger. Things may come apart. Right? Truth is the first item. Jesus defeated Satan by truth. Jesus said, It is written. People should live, not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve those were truths that jesus stood on that that were his foundation by you. in that way he was able to stand we need truth to stand right and this truth is not just you know what i know what i learned what i can recite this truth should affect our being right so Here's a little line from uh, Jack Cottrell. It says this, Just knowing what the Bible teaches is not enough. Do we need it? Yes. We need to know what the Bible says. Learn it, memorize it, assimilate it, declare it. Yes, all that. However, more than that, we also must believe and love the truth and apply the truth, I would add. Truth, so truth here is not just, you know, doctrinal statements. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. I believe and in his son, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. Yeah, those are truths. But those truths need to impact us, affect us, affect our life. We live in the light of that. Truth. The Bible Truths. In the New Testament, the word truth appears about a hundred times, right? In the Bible, what is? Number one, God is a God of truth. Psalm 31 talks about God of truth. What is true, what is real, what is genuine, right? God is a God of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way and the truth, and the life Jesus said I am the truth right he brought God displayed God spoke God represented God in reality to people Jesus promised the spirit of truth who would guide us into all truth so God is the God of truth Christ is the truth he promised the spirit of truth to guide you and I into all truth and Jesus prayed father sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Hallelujah. Sanctify them in the truth. May the truth affect them, change them, separate them, right? We are saved by the gospel of truth. That's Ephesians. You heard, and be- the, you heard the gospel of truth and believed, right? If you're a Christian, you have met truth. You have touched truth, and you've apprehended truth. God is truth. Christ is truth. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth, and the Bible is is has the truth, and the gospel conveys the truth. Amen. So the church is the house of the living God, the pillar and base of the truth. The church is here to uphold the truth, present the truth. And the truth should be our guide, be our stability. Early in Ephesians, Paul desires that you, believers, would no longer be children tossed by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth or truthing, truthing. That's an invented verb in English, the noun Right? Yes, it is translated, speaking the truth. In the Greek, it's the, ver- the noun, ver- truth as a verb, truthing. Truth lived out, truth applied. Amen. So, how do we get truth? Okay, means we're in contact with God, with Christ, with the Spirit. We're in the Word. You want truth? God's Word is truth right, and it's truth to affect us, right, so we can, and applied in our life, it it can be, right, we live out the truth, and it's the truth for the church to uphold, so the charge in Ephesians is take up, take up, put on the belt of truth, can we, okay, that's the first step, you want to stand, Take up the belt of truth. You want to withstand Satan. Take up the belt of truth. You want to be a church that stands against the kingdom of darkness. We need to be girt with truth, strengthened, fortified by truth, right? Truth that has is apprehended by us, applied by us, so it can be lived out by us. Amen. So, are we, let's apply it here. Are we as the church in Toronto, CIT, do we want to be a church of truth? Do we want to take up the belt of truth? Do we want to be solid? Do we want to be fortified? Do we want to be stabilized? Then we need, number one, we need truth. We need the truth. In the Bible, the truth which reveals God, Christ, the Spirit, and which can affect our living, we need to lay hold of that, apply it in our life. Then we can stand. Then we can resist. At the end of the day, we'll still be standing, right? So, truth should be something we desire. I hope we could be a church of truth, And not right. Okay, then you. Some people say, "I heard the messages. They're kind of deep. They're kind of profound. Can we have? Maybe we should have something more simple, brothers and sisters. You and I need truth. What kind of belt do you need? You want a quarter inch, or you want substantial belt of truth, which will fortify you, strengthen you." right stabilize you we need substantial truth so paul gave the churches and in his writing was substantial truth right he told the corinthians i fed you with milk not solid food not meat because you couldn't take it brothers and sisters you want milk or you want meat it's okay to have milk when you're starting out. Eventually you've got to progress. Can we go on? in some places, they get, oh, you're getting milk. Some churches basically give you milk, two percent. Some only give you one percent. Some give you whole milk. Can we have some meat? Can we have something more substantial? Then we need the desire. We need the exercise to take in the truth. Then the church will be strong. Then the church will not be blown around. And you will not be blown around by wind, this teaching, that teaching. In this matter of spiritual warfare, there's a lot of wins. Some you may be aware of, some you may not. A lot of ideas, speculation, right? right inference which is not based on the bible let's talk about some of those this is in the realm of spiritual warfare that's our topic right we need the belt of truth there are these kind of terms maybe you've heard of them territorial spirits that's a little basis the principal is in powers we relate to that territorial defilement you ever heard of that Spiritual mapping, genealogic generational curse, spiritual ties, right? Maybe some of the interrogating demons. All these are more you find out in under the umbrella of spiritual warfare. You have to ask yourself: okay, are these based on the Bible? Firmly based. Not extrapolations, are they somebody's idea? Are they a distraction? Satan, right, a good strategy. I get people involved in all this other stuff off the main point, then Satan has a way, right? Okay, so it's in the material, you wanna look at that. Let me give you one quote by Michael Horton. You know, spiritual mapping is the idea of some spiritual, knowledgeable people can go to a city, to a neighborhood, and they can detect by their spiritual Geiger counter, where are the strongholds of the demons? They're over here, they're over there, right? Based on history, based on research, some bad stuff happened over there. This was a gambling den. There was a uh, there was immorality over there this whatever so these are these are strongholds of demons and we that's and we for, we make an actual map quote spiritual map and we go and cast out demons and we try to find out which demons in charge and what's their name there's all kind of stuff going on you don't find that in ephesians you don't find that in the new testament right so it's, right, that's a wind that's blown a lot of people away. Here's a one quote. Okay, there's nothing. Michael Horton addresses this kind of thing. There's nothing in Ephesians six about so-called territorial spirits, and I would add territorial defilement, whose territorial spirits, whose activity can actually be mapped. You draw out on a map, right? With by specifically gifted prophets that kind of thing has more to do with superstition than with Christianity. There's not the slightest hint of such superstitious practices in this key passage on spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6. You don't find territorial defilements. You don't find, and in the Bible, you don't find people interviewing, Paul never interv- interrogated demons. What's your name? Where are your strongholds? You don't ask the enemy, you know, Satan's a liar, his subordinates are what? And you're going to ask them, where are your strongholds? You think they're going to give you the true answer, right? Okay, it doesn't happen. The New Testament doesn't do that. Paul never did that. He simply cast out the demons. Right? So, okay, it's a distraction. Brothers and sisters, let's be founded on the truth. Let's put on the real armor of God. Let's focus on the real conflict. And let's testify for the truth. Okay, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, you are the truth. When you came, grace came. And also truth came with you Lord, and you gave us the spirit of truth and we have your word, which is a a word of truth, able to sanctify us, able to change us. Lord, we we pray this week and these coming weeks, we will be equipped by the armor you provided for us. May truth be our belt to stabilize us to fortify us, to strengthen us, to stand for you individually and corporately as your church, to withstand, to resist the kingdom of darkness, to bring in your kingdom of God, kingdom of light, kingdom of life. We pray, be with us, protect us, we pray, in the mighty, powerful, victorious name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the CIT Podcast. Our mission is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. If you want to connect with us, you can visit us online at churchintoronto.com. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services this weekend. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God loves you.